0: Time has come; is we've got to go the extra step.
1: From the political science department at UW Madison, I compromise. We want to get the job done. I'm Addison Lathers.
2: Geez, they're they're trying to they're trying to balance the power here.
1: And I'm Claire Salome. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake. And this is 10:50 Bascom. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are excited to talk to Devon Wilson, the LNS Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion—a position that was actually created earlier this year. Dean Wilson previously directed the Center for Academic Excellence, where he has been credited by leaders across the university administration for transforming the campus experience for underrepresented students. He is also a sought-after expert in the national DEI space and holds a research position in the Wisconsin Equity and Inclusion Laboratory at UW-Madison, where he is focused on the academic integration of student-athletes, as well as different learning outcomes in undergraduate education.
2: Well, anyways, might as well hop into it. Okay. Thank you so much for talking to us, and thank you for joining us here in person for our first in-person show. Well, thank,
0: you, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah,
2: um, have you have you been on the podcast before?
0: I have not been on this podcast, I but I have, so. I have been on, I think... Um, did podcast for student employment uh, around kind of generational kind uh, of diversity and that. So it's always good to kind of be in these.
2: You're low-key uh, a podcast man. Yes, yeah,
0: well, trying to, I, I love it. It's a great way of kind of sharing, you know, what's going on and engaging, you know, very important conversations. So I, I like having this, especially having this opportunity with both of you, you know, and uh, this is, this is the intergenerational thing happening right, right together here that we're having this conversation so. You know, we can have an opportunity to even model that. That's always a good thing.
2: Yeah, we're looking forward to a great conversation today. Yeah. So anyways, uh, how about you tell us a bit about yourself and your career and academic pathways, so to speak?
0: Yeah, I would say I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but grew up in Boulin, Wisconsin. And you'll, you'll understand why in a, in a minute. I grew up in Ann Arbor. Uh, a town similar to Madison they always get compared in a way but very much in humble settings you know first generation college student free and reduced lunch um, but even in the context of that a lot of love and not only love that really came from my family circle but really you know friends and parents and, and really having a network that I think was very valuable to me uh, growing up and uh, you know one person I always like to give an example of is Joan Berman, who's a mother of my, my friends. friends. Uh, she's a teacher. And this is an example of it. I remember coming home after seventh grade and we all kind of put our schedules on the table and we were eating lunch. And she came by to see what we were taking. And she immediately grabbed my schedule and switched me off. I, had not even, I couldn't even finish the lunch. <laughs> right. She switched me off. and went in the car. On the way to my junior high, she was explaining to me, track And the fact that the classes that they put me in weren't going to have me on the college pipeline preparatory uh, pipeline. So, and I didn't quite understand any of that. But I remember her walking in to the office and demanding that they change my schedule. And so, obviously, here is a woman who is about six foot, short, blonde hair, white, and then you have me. And they're looking at her and it's like, you're not my, my, you're not his mother, Right. (laughs) But assuming a lot of stuff around that, right? But her response was classic, today I am. Mm -hmm. And she changed the schedule and they said, well, we're worried about, you know, it was a math class. And so she got me a tutor. Um, She said, I will pay for the tutor. And it was just, it was like this transformable moment of just ways in which we talk about allyship today, ways in which we talk about the way of supporting people. That just was like this pivotal moment in my life. The, the thing about the, the, the tutor she got me from University of Michigan was someone, and I know she knew this, who also liked to play basketball. So she built this, she built something in there, you know, got me somebody who could work with me on stuff. She made me take three years of life and that I didn't even understand. But the thing about it is when you have somebody who is this mentor or sponsor, I had those kind of people growing up. And she was the reason I got into bullet College. I remember deciding that I wasn't going to go to college. And she made me sit down and complete the the only application I ever completed. And they did not send my acceptance letter home. They sent it to my guidance counselor, which she probably also, right? And they called me down to the guidance office. And I said, like, I'm wondering why i didn't called. call I'm thinking, did I do something wrong? Because you know, sometimes you get called to the office, you're thinking there's a problem. And so that was, uh, I remember getting the envelope and it, it changed my life to, to be able to go to a place like Boulogne, and Boulogne was transformative. It was a place where, and it's one of the reasons why I fight for what, that, that, that we all deserve to have a quality of educational experience. I came in with this athletic student identity and it was a place that said, no, nah, you got to do something else. And the way in which faculty engaged me, faculty got me connected to things I never thought I would be able to do, kind of built confidence in ways that I thought was transformative. And it changed the way I really thought about education. But also gave me a sense around some of the inequities. Because I could look around and see, wow, folks came in here with a lot more resources. Folks came to the table already set up in ways. But if there's things we can do to really transform the experience, it could be valuable. So for Lloyd, I, I, I majored in psychology. And I chose that major because that's the one I could explain, right? See, a lot of times we didn't even think students are really being strategic about stuff like this. I was like, that's the one that's easiest to explain. But it was still a quality kind of educational experience, and it was a place where I became an IRA, which I think was my first professional position. We New them household here, but it was a way where I began to understand how institutions work. It was ways that I understand how people thought about some of these issues. We were able to sit around as a community and figure out how we were going to help advance it. And so it was those kind of experiences that got me on the track that I am today. Where I, I worked there for sixteen years to, uh, uh, we started out in a place called a House managing a bar on campus, which is probably my most impactful professional experience because it's in that space students tell you everything, hmm. and you begin to understand what's going on. Um, and then I went in and worked in admissions, and which was a critical moment. I remember walking across the uh, campus and having the VP for enrollment. I was wearing a baseball cap, and I said, "I hear you." You're interested in our admissions work. Now, you gotta understand admissions is a place where you're gonna wear a tie and a suit. But he was watching me in a sweats and baseball cap, and he was like, something told him it was something I could do. Right? And without, before I even knew it. And that was my first real experience of this notion called sponsorship. Like, when people said they're gonna spend capital on me. Right? And that's the notion a lot of times in higher education, you don't really, but it was, they were sponsoring. And I didn't know I was being sponsored, but he was sponsored. Right. And so it was experiences like that that I had along the way that really shaped my work to prepare me for this work here at UW Madison. And now, what I'm doing as the Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, in the College of Letters and Science is an so, inaugural role. We're trying to get it started. But most of my career has been about these kind of opportunities. And a lot of it is stooped in this liberal arts education that y'all are getting, where that you really, when you understand, you can, you can figure out how to solve things. You may not know right up front, but you you know how to analyze and think about things, and through those type of through a process, you can come to solutions. And I think that's where I really benefited in my kind of educational journey to try to really find myself. I've seen this as kind of a journey. So and there's a lot right there, but hopefully, I, you know, if there are any follow ups, I'm glad to
2: ask. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll I'll take that. You said that you were preparing for this role. And in one news story, we saw that you would consider that you had been preparing for this role right now for 30 years. Mm-hmm. What were some of those skills that you picked up on along the way and some of those experiences that were a part of that journey to learning how to be what you are now?
0: You know, there were some valuable things. And one of the things I always tell students a couple things that I've learned along the way is the value of your advisory board. You know, having people around you who are so committed to you that they tell you what you need to know. So, you know, when I used to be the director of the McNair Scholars Program, I used to talk to students about going and talk about faculty mentors. I said, one of the things you've got to listen for is people who are going to tell you what you need to know, not what you want to know. And if you can find a mentor who's going to tell you what you need to know, you got somebody who really invest in you. So, what I really try to do along the way is the power of relationships right, Um, is really, really been an important thing. And that those relationships can come in many different forms. A lot of times we build relationships and we place tight parameters around who those people can be rather than receiving them the way they come. And so that was really important. So it allowed me to really lean into things and meet people that if I had not put up all these barriers, I would have missed an opportunity. So that's one thing. The other thing that was really critical is that people don't end up in places by choice. When I was riding around as a missions counselor in the city of Chicago, and I would start my trip on the north side of Chicago, and then start going down to the south side of Chicago, and then going to east Chicago, in any other places, there were things that I already thought, already knew that were more about systems. And when it got me to understand that, 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 we need to be looking at things from a systems level. It got me to ask, it forced me to ask different questions. There were some things that were happening around personal stuff, but i would have to back out and understand what's the organizational reason and system for why this is happening. And that happened just riding through neighborhoods, looking at different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I, I, I learned up, up front, and this is one of the things that uh, Hale Simonette, who is a great person here on campus, Dr. Simonette, told me it just stuck with me is that you have to speak into people's listening. Hmm. Yeah. If if you want to really have change, how do you frame it in a way that gets people to lean in? And that's a tough skill because a number of things that we're working with are so emotional. And they have real consequences for real. Life. But when you and it took me a while to understand that, but today I think I'm a little bit better because we are all on a journey together, right? We are all entering this journey, so when you can speak to the people's listening, you can begin to understand where they are on the journey as a way to get into the conversation. And those are things that I I, I learned along the way. And then the final thing is is the power of grace. That you know along this journey, you're gonna have a lot of hiccups. If you really try you're gonna have some missteps. If you are really doing this work hard, you're going to have some missteps. And what I really have appreciated about this is the importance of grace. The importance of really not so getting caught up into what happened, but how can we get to another place based on what we just had? You know, and so there's a number of things I've learned along the way. And, and I know this is a lifelong journey and, you know, I'm not a finished product. And knowing that, I think, is, helps me with roles like this, because I'm not coming into this like I got to have all the answers. What I'm coming into is that, that I can do this collectively with other folks, and I'm going to make some missteps. And, but the key is that I'm going to try to figure out how to continue to help support moving this work forward at a place that I think can do it, right? Uh, it just takes the right thing to do. And then the, the final thing I would say is this, is that this work is mission work. And so when I talk about this in the context of a place like Wisconsin, when I understand that, how did, what does this mean for the Wisconsin experience and Wisconsin idea? It helps to contextualize it. That contextualizing what we do is really important. What does it mean for this moment? What does it mean for this place? And so when I, when I really figured out how to zero in on those things, now you can ask different kinds of questions, right? So when I, when I talk about student experience and talking to new faculty. I said one of the important things to think about in the Wisconsin experience is who's getting it who isn't and why. Fundamental question, we've got to be scanning for that, and then how do we help to make sure that people get what we promised that we get?
3: That's fantastic. Yeah. I feel like that could be its own, that's a whole episode in <laughs> itself is just wise things that Dean Wilson tells us about our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Words of wisdom. Yes. Um, you started talking about your position in the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Would you be able to just kind of give us a broad 3,000 foot overview of what the background of that division's development has been in 2021? Because it's new, as we've yeah. heard.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to make sure I reframe this the right way so that everybody understands. This is a new role, a novel role in the College of Letters and Science. In saying that, the university has a history around this work. And I think one of the things that we don't do very well, and we don't even do very well to even share with our students, is that we have a history. Of it. That the university has been doing this work easily since the 60s, in ways that people haven't done around the country. Uh, there are programmatic efforts we've been doing statewide since the 80s that are in all campuses. And so what, when I say this is that, I say this role is building on momentum. And so we're in an inaugural uh, position uh, in this, um, in my previous role in the college, I was the diversity coordinator and I was also the assistant dean and director of the Center for Academic Excellence program. Now, that's an important program because that program's lineage goes back to the five-year program, which started out in the sixties. So I want to say that, you know, in, in that program morphed into the academic advancement program, which was then moved to the College of Letters and Science. So that tells you that's where the College of Letters and Science really began to situate itself from a programmatic standpoint in this work. And it's grown over the years, and infrastructure grew over the years. So when I arrived in 2006, Dean Sanford was very interested in really organizing that work. Dean Sanford, I believe right now, is a provost at Oklahoma State University. Is he, still, he might be still there. Incredible person. And he understood that we need to figure out how to organize the work. So when I came in, that was part of the job that they asked me to do. And I took on this kind of, College level of a coordinator, as well as helping to organize these sets of programs into what became the Center for Academic Excellence, and 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 then we started to organize our governance structure, uh, which was a, our Equity University Committee, and so there was some work being happening that was pointing towards this role, and so mm-hmm. this role is began was like really as um, uh, Dean Wilcox came on and made this his priority. This is something that he really wanted to do to begin to say that we need strategic leadership in this. So this work is building on a lot of work that's been happening in the college for a long time. But now it's about having someone who can help to really organize where we can go along with the dean and all the other folks in the community. And I think it's important to understand that a place like the College of Letters and Science is the size of Northwestern. I learned from one of my colleagues, Chris that I think we covered 1.5 1 million square footage, a lot of stuff. Last year, we had departments uh, report over 400 diversity related activities doing. We have a lot of active people doing really good work. All right. So part of what this role is to do early on is to, to amplify. We need to amplify. Um, I would say I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I, I don't want to fit anybody from Michigan, but I'm from Ann Arbor, so I guess I play. I can say that. First team I ever played for was Junior Warwick. Michigan will tell you when they cross the street. We will, at a place like Wisconsin, we will have a discovery for an illness that we might not let people know. And part of that's just who we are. But what what I see is we have a lot of good work happening in the college. And so part of the job is also the work with our colleagues to elevate a lot of this great work folks are already doing on the ground to make people aware of it. It's really important. And then the other thing that this role is trying to do early on is create alignment alignment within the college and alignment with the campus so that we're doing this work collectively. And so that's really a a, a phase one type of, uh, of approach that we're trying to do. And the other thing that we're trying to do is also engage. What, when I talk about square footage, I talk about all those great people doing on the ground with great students. How do we connect with you and get a sense of what you're saying on the ground? And, when you think about the scale, that's a very difficult thing, but one of the things we're going to try and do is some virtual listening sessions where we can begin to understand what people are happening on the ground, and then how does that help then shape the directions that we want to go as a, as a college? So that's part of this new role, that's part of this campus-wide system that's developing, that we're all linked in a way. Um, and I'm glad that the college is here. It's something that I've, I've been hoping the college will do for some time. Uh, I, I, was, I felt, uh, as I told uh, the chairs and directors, uh, it I, I was it was it's I feel a great sense of responsibility in the person who was selected to do as part of national service there's a lot of, as someone who is deeply um, situated in the liberal arts that's been part of my educational experience there's a lot that I lean into and I feel a lot of great responsibility and, uh, to be part of this part uh, this process and look forward to what we might be able to accomplish in the future
3: what are your long-term goals with this position like do you have a vision for What would ideally happen in a year, five years, 10 years down the line?
0: Yeah, and and right now we're curating that. So one of the things I think is really important about um, what I frame as strategic diversity leadership is organizational change work. And so part of what we're trying to really trying to do right now is do a, a, a organization wide inventory. Right to understand where we're at, and then from there, where where are some of the big bets and opportunities we can do to kind of help move it forward? So I don't quite have that figured out. You know, I started June fifteenth. It's and one of the things that's interesting because people are like, "Well, you were here in the other role." One of the things I've been trained to do is that some things you got to leave at your old job. There's some things you can bring. If I would give students anything, when you transition from one thing to the other, people assume that those skills that you need trans- will will transfer with you. Some of them may need to, but you need to do an assessment and figure out what else you need to build into your portfolio to do the job. And so part of what I'm trying to also understand in doing this, this is a great question, is, is really one of the first steps you do in this work is you do that type of inventory. Because in that inventory, it gets you to a baseline and then it allows you then to say, hey, here's some things we can do in anyway. it. Here's some things we can do in three years. Here's some things that might take a little bit longer. Then you got to message that, right? So one of the things I always tell students when you are student leaders, to be a great student leader, you got to be okay with the real impacts going to occur when you come back as a law. When you understand that, you can get to the work. <laughs> you, you can start to really get focused. You don't get so caught up, and so those are things we can do. But I think so. So what we want to try to do in the first year, if I if I were to just put it on concrete, is really understand what's going on? Find a way for folks to really be able to provide us with information and feedback on what they feel where they are, which is very difficult with a place the open and size of LNS. But we got to try to do, uh, and then continue to build and support resources. We've we've had some great. Alums who are really committed to doing it, one of the most difficult things to do is to make sure you have a resource we have that's the one thing about Wisconsin. We have people who who are really not only going to talk about but are willing to invest in it, uh, but we want to make sure whatever they invest in in the right way and then we have some things right now that are piloting and, and going really well, particularly in the student area that we want to see how we can scale and we still need to kind of monitor those things to see if they're scaling the right way. But our number one thing in the first year is really assess and understand what's going on. So that when we make a decision to go in a strategic direction, we have a sense that we can get there. Right? So every fundamental question I try to ask is what's the sustainability? If if you don't know how you're gonna sustain it, then you can't do
2: it. Isn't that the truth?
0: Isn't is, is that the tough one? Right? Isn't that the tough one? Because yep. if you give because then you just got a lot of activity. Right. So if you can't figure out how to sustain it, then you got to figure out whether or not that's working best for mm. Because what, what happens if you start doing something as students and you really start feeling good about it and we don't have the resources to do it and it's gone, aren't you going to be mad? And it's not because people didn't want to really do it, but it's very complicated. Right. And so one of the things I try to ask a fundamental question is what's the sustainability strategy? Right? And if, if we can't sustain it, Let's either frame it a different way, to know that it's a pilot or it's it's a temporary thing, trying to do some exploratory things, or you know, or let's hold off on it to we can do. It. So we're really trying to 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 do some of that. But we've got some great activity going in the college. We have some great stuff going, but right now we're trying to see how those things are like kind of sustainable strategies, and so you know, we try not to come out with these things until we really know that this is something that's got some traction, right? And so, because we want, we want to then get all the energy around to really push it forward. I,
2: and I also have to remark, it's it's interesting to see the effects that putting that labor on students and putting mm-hmm. that labor on staffs to do these kind of initiatives mm-hmm. for them not to know if it's going to be anywhere, if there's ever going to be fruit of their labor in mm-hmm. four years, five years, six years. Yes. The, we'll see probably... Yes. an amount of backlash after these past yes. after this past hectic year to yes. that yes. but you you touched on uh Dean Eric Wilcots and we actually spoke to him mm-hmm. about a year ago around this time about the intersection of the pandemic and a renewed civil rights movement across the nation mm-hmm. and to some extent on campus as well mm-hmm. at that time it felt like we were in a moment of both hope and crisis mm-hmm. so what in your view have we learned over the last year and what challenges do you think we still face at UW? Well, you
0: know, the one thing I would say is that we have resolve, right? You know, if we think about it, when I talk to a lot of our students, it's been challenging in a lot of different ways. And we've, we've had to have resolved, We've had to be creative in, in trying to do, try to get through this time. But I think what it also uh, has done is forced us to understand how we're trying to meet the fundamental purpose of what we said we are. And so this goes back to the way I think about this. It, it, the critical question for us today is what does it mean to produce the Wisconsin experience? What does that mean? And, and you ask that through an equity lens, right? How are people experiencing this? What does it mean when we talk about the Wisconsin idea? How are we reflecting from the inside out, right? And so some of the fundamental questions I think have been asked by a, a lot of members of our community is about. What work do we need to do collectively before we move out? Right? And in doing that work, we are also role modeling. Work like that for a lot of institutions can be seen as, um, it might be a deficit publicly, but really it's role modeling with the work we're trying to get done. And so it means that we all have our own work to do. And, um, and th- I think that's the power of our shared governance structure here on campus. You know, we're talking about this a little off, off, off mic. Is that one of the things that makes Wisconsin unique? Most institutions have shared governance, but there are very few shared governance structures like Wisconsin in the way in which students' voice come in, staff voice come in, and faculty voice come in and others. Right? It, it is. I think Berkeley might be pretty similar, but they're not at that this tightly woven. And and I think this crisis. Created a space where those voices could actually be at the table, pushing and asking really important questions. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing for an institution. If you, that's where you sharpen who you are. And some of those things will reveal things that will be very painful, right? But the pain is part of the process we got to go through in order for us to get to a better place. And so I think the pandemic, I think uh, the uprising that happened nationally and here, which is again, part of who we are at Wisconsin. It's, it, it, you go back historically. <laughs> if there's gonna be a conversation around this, Madison's gonna be in the middle of it because that's where our students are, our staff and our faculty. It, you can trace the history back. But then what does it mean for real institutional change? And I think that's where we have to then move the conversation. And, you know, coming out of this pandemic, I think that continues to be work we have to do collectively. Right? What does it mean for us to be a better community member? We're about the Wisconsin idea. What does it mean for us to be better community members in the state, the nation, and the world? What does it mean for us to do that kind of work? I think those are things we still have to determine as we move forward to do that. And we got to do that collectively. Um, and so that's the part I, I'm, I'm excited to really get in on. That's life journey. As well. And then I think the final thing, I said this around the journey, is that in doing this work, we have to find an on-ramp for everybody to be in the conversation. So, and I think that, that's work we still got to do. How do we get people in the conversation in order for us to move the work forward? Um, and I think that's the part we have to continue to do that work uh, on. Um, I know I've always got to check myself at the door around it because either emotional, the emotional issues. Every time I call my mom and I'm talking about her growing up in South Carolina, you know, um, the challenges of her in terms of her uh, uh, as, uh, as a uh, African-American woman growing up in South Carolina, trying to go to not being able to go to college. Like, those conversations, I'm coming to work, there's a lot that com- I come to work with. <laughs> right? So I got to be able to understand that as I'm getting in, but we all got to find a way into this conversation.
3: And as we're talking about the events over the past year, or I guess now it's a little more than that. Yeah. Um, we have noticed in several articles that you've been quoted in, mm. and you've talked a lot about how COVID especially has sort of packed this extra punch for first-generation mm-hmm. students yes. and some underrepresented students on campus. Why is that the case? Would you be able to explain maybe what the systemic underpinnings of that are?
0: I think what it did was it elevated challenges that are. Already. And so, you know, when we, especially in a remote learning space, we are assuming people have a privilege in a space to do learning that is equal. Now I'm not saying that our, our instructional, I think people did a really good job of understanding that. Right. But it, it, what, it, what it did was create an amplifier, Opportunities where students have responsibilities that go beyond just getting their academics, that they're able to manage better when they're here. But then when they're in a remote situation, those things are then getting amplified, meaning they might be taking on additional child care. They might be taking on other financial burdens. They might be taking on in addition to trying to figure out how to get the organic energy so it already complicates an educational experience and I think we try to work hard to mitigate that but then some of those things are different realities on top of it this social unrest of which for many of these students are that's family even though I don't I might not know you that's family right and so that takes on another type of emotional burden in addition to this stuff and then it start to amplify things that are happening in their educational space that might not have been amplified before, but are now, they are aware of. And a lot of times they're doing this in isolation. So it's so good to see y'all here in this studio. You know, I've been, but I've been doing a lot of Zoom and Teams, right? And we assume what we see on that screen is all good, but we don't know what's happening right here, right? And so it's all in that context that it becomes an additional burden and tax and then the other thing about it is that some of the stuff then falls to staff and faculty coming from many of these same communities, because uh, this work, they're doing in their own personal space, but then they also have students and others, graduate students the faculty who are leaning, and they're also, so there's, there, there is a the tremendous amount of additional stress in terms of holding some of this up that I think was, was always there, but was amplified By the circumstances of the pandemic. Does that make sense?
3: Absolutely, yeah. And how are those concerns addressed over the past year? And are we still working on those, on the kind of the solutions to addressing those concerns?
0: I I think the institution really tried to um, create ways to reduce stress with students around some of the you know, changes in how they did grading policy and some other so they people thought about it from a systemic standpoint, right? I think the institution did an excellent job around trying to do that and working upstream. A lot of people in the instructional space did a really good job of trying to do resources. I mean we had we did a we did a summer bridge experience for our summer collegiate experience. Our our do it was incredible in terms of providing and others in terms of providing Uh, resources for students so they can be able to do this six-week program. So people, people, I think people responded. And also this is new, right? So people were trying to innovate and do this coming out of again, an organizational design that was built for an in-person experience. So that's why I would say these are, this is a systemic issue. We have to think about organizational stuff. People, we were set up for a residential space. Even in that space, we're still trying to deal with these challenges. And now we're trying to convert this to a remote space. But all those challenges we're trying to deal with in person, we're just trying to do it remotely. And I think people stepped up as much as we can do, but then I think there are are other things that just happen. So part of this is acknowledging what's about that stuff and then what's about the stuff we really got to change. We got to figure out how to separate some of that out. But I think institutionally people try to do it, but it still means we got other work to do. So I think that's an important part of, of all of this. Um, I was involved in a lot of those conversations. We had, there was a level of cooperation I had not seen on this campus since I started because people were really getting their heads around it. So I, I think there's a lot, a lot of things uh, that were happening that were positive, but it's, it's, in, a, it's in, an, uh, in, in an environment that none of us was prepared for, like just <laughs> globally we were prepared for, right? And so I think in those environments, you know, you start to take scabs off really deep wounds, right, that show themselves in ways that you like, wow. And so you realize after this, we got to still repair that stuff, right? So we got we to gotta get back, just to back, we just now coming back to seeing all these incredible students on campus. It's it just getting used to that flow is is part of this. You know, that's kind of how I see it, you know, but I, I still am aware that we got so much more work to do, right? Uh, but understanding that there was a context there we were trying to operate in that, it's still gonna be here for a while because we're, still, we're sitting here together, but we got masks on, right? So, you know, I can't smile, I'm trying to smile, I'm trying to do it like this. All those things matter. I, I said to somebody, all the pieces matter. That matters. Like to when we're trying to solve this, all these little pieces matter when we're trying to deal with these very complex issues.
2: I think I'd like to hop into some more mm-hmm. recent events. Mm-hmm. There's been several debates around historical monuments on mm-hmm. campus. The most recent one was regarding Chamberlain Rock that was removed last month. Now, I, a student journalist, I got to see a lot of the surface tension. Yeah. I got to see the BIPOC coalition's demands to remove it. I got to see anger from student activists. But not a lot of people, I feel, know the background. So yeah. if you will, we would love to hear what you know about the background of that situation.
0: I, so I, I, and for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person if I'm, I'm not in the room with a lot of these things. Yeah. I don't try to comment on. But, but what I will say, on the larger issue, because these are these are conversations that happen at campuses across the country around historical markers, and as part of this journey, as we you know work on this public history, it's part of this journey to begin to unpack, you know, our history, right? um And that's part of this this process that we have to go through. How we how we go through that, and how we how we get through those things. Is something institutions are going to have to really learn how to engage and, and, and get there. And so it could be, it could be Chamberlain Rock, it could be, you know, the statue on the top of the hill, it could be whatever. There is a healing process. And there's a need to recognize a level of recognition that is happening on all our campuses and in many of our communities in ways that were elevated in this pandemic. And this is one example of that. Right, and so institutions have to think about how they need to do that. I just had a conversation with someone uh, at another institution, um, and they are looking at naming a court after a previous coach. And one of the fundamental questions that they now have to ask is, we got to look into the history before we go through that process, right? We 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 have to understand the context of the history before we name this court. A lot of these conversations around. This process is something that higher ed institutions have to understand that this is part of what we need to do. And so what's happening in the moment on any particular thing is a hot button. but there, there's a whole history uh, of another hundred things that we're going to do. So how are we going to engage this, and how does this then move us forward in terms of what we hope to have happen and who we are as an institution is, is part of this thing. And so... For me, that's, you know, more of what I'm trying to figure out is, how, you know, what does this mean for how we do this in a way that recognizes the history, the pain, a lot of the injustice, but how does it also then move the institution forward? Right? And that, to me, that's a, a part of the process. And it can get really messy in the beginning as we're, we're trying to understand how to engage in this work. And so it's not something that's just isolated here. It's something that's happening in a lot of our campuses around the country. Uh, and some campuses are handling in different ways than others. And I think what what I appreciate is that being raised as an issue. And communities have an ability just to point out this is something we need to be addressing, right? But then as an int- institution, how can we then address the desire? So, in a more general context, I can I, I can respond to that. Yeah.
2: yeah. And speaking of that criticism that you referenced. There can be a lot of it, especially yes. on a national level. Hell, yes. we made the New York Times opinion section. Yes. And that can be, that can be uncomfy to deal with. What are your thoughts on being criticized in such an open way for considering the removal of some of these monuments?
0: Well, I think what's important is we've got to understand why. You know, University of Wisconsin-Madison, one of five institutions who want to get that kind of high visibility. So Wisconsin, Berkeley. Virginia, Texas, Michigan. There's a reason why those institutions, they have a history. They have, it's back to what I told you about shared governance and an active voice. So, so, so there's reasons why a place like Madison is so visible in those conversations. Uh, and so part of it is how do we then lead into that as part of what we say the Wisconsin Idea is all about. We This is part of how we go through this public Opportunity to really work through and understand these issues. So not to see it as criticism, but see it as a part of our process as a community to try to really seek to understand where we want to go. We've got to reframe it because that's who we are, and that's who we are in the place. You know, we have a lot of peers that this stuff is happening to. they're not ending up on these in these spaces. There's a reason why Wisconsin-Madison's in these spaces. There's a reason why Berkeley is in these places. There's a reason why Texas, Austin is in these places, Michigan is because Virginia, and and that's who we are in the place. And so it, it, it can be challenging for the work we do, but I think we really gotta keep our focus on who we are as a community. You know, in a sense of what external people we gotta figure out who what our responsibility is as a community as a public university in the state. And we, we have to then try to keep our head on that work. Uh, someone famously told we talked to us other day. It was funny because he's from Milwaukee, one of our alumns, he who's doing some incredible work. And he said he said uh, he said he was talking to uh, the mentors organization. And he said to him, he said the work is the work, the, the work is the work, and so that's what we've been about. The work is the work, and so you know in this world you are in a fishbowl in this world, and so it, it's going to get taken in. But as a community, we got to be focused on the work at hand. What does it mean for you two? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for all of us to be in this community together? how we wanna move this work forward? And we're gonna have a lot of external audiences contributing to it because that's who we are in the place. And then we just have to get, once you accept that, then you don't get caught up in all the things that, that happen. And that's kind of how I try to move forward. Mm-hmm. That makes sense?
3: It does make sense. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious, I think one of the really common critiques, if you could call it that, I say that in air quotes, um, that was really coming, especially from outside the immediate community last summer, I think, was that doing things like removing rocks or statues or renaming buildings, you know, what effect does that actually have and should we be spending time and resources doing that? How would you respond to that?
0: It's It's an important conversation and I've been involved in a number of conversations around the country around... the the specific issue. And I I think we always have to deal with the reason why. It's pain. And so, you know, whatever the action ends up being, whether you keep it or not, you still got to deal with the pain. And you still have to um, uh, acknowledge the pain, and you still have to have a really important... uh, plan for moving forward on the pain and how we're going to do the change work and so um, uh, in, in understanding when, when we under, when we frame it like that when we frame it like what is it for in our context what does this mean for when we say the Wisconsin experience what does it mean for when we say the Wisconsin idea how does this fit into that in terms of moving to work and so whatever decision we make or not, how does it still move that work forward in a very authentic and real way? That's that's the important part of this, right? Um, and so it doesn't belittle whether we move, remove or not. What is important is, are we dealing with the pain? And is this part of that? Yeah, that's part of it. But then the, uh, there's a whole bunch of other work that needs to be done around it. And so, you know, um, so I, you know I, it's one of those things where you can get stuck on something and never move. Like the bigger issue will never move. And so, you know, we need to be able to deal with these these very important issues that are symbolic. Symbolism is a really important part of, of really doing this work. We need to address some of those issues, but they can't be the only things we've got to address, right? And So we've got to address, there's some policy issues, there's some other issues that are equally and even more so that are part of carrying on some of these more systemic historical issues in terms of Race and inequality across a number of mechanisms, and so we don't we can't keep our eye off of those things as well right so but at the end of the day it, you've got to be able to know that you re, you're responding to pain and the objects are a symbol of the pain right and so if we don't if we don't start making those connections that's a bigger problem and so uh, and you can't argue against that you can argue against all this other stuff but you can't argue against. And so I think those are things that we have to get to make sure we have our focus on.
3: Skipping down just as we're closing in on our Mm -hmm. time for today, I think it's really important that we ask, Mm -hmm. how can students support DEI initiatives on campus right now?
0: So, so one of the things that I think is very important for students to do is be focused. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a chance to travel across the country and, and, and virtually or whatever before and really be in, in, engaged in some very high profile and just very, coming from the external side to help. And as someone who's been an advisor to students for more than twenty years, I think when you're doing this work. Link this work to what it means about moving mission of work we're doing at the institution. One, be focused. I've, I've worked with students who have like 30 demands. And, and, I'm, and I'm saying, how is 30 demands moving?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. How can we be focused? And what does this do to move the institution? But like, what can you do in your, your own work in terms of that? Just start from where you are. This is journey work. And you know, wherever you're at, start from there. Don't feel like you got to be somewhere else. <laughs> Don't feel like you, if you see, like, oh, my friend seems to really understand this. That's where they are. But start from where you're at. Start from the work that you're in. Make sure that you have really good people who are advising and working. If everybody who is working with you and sharing this is in, looks like you are in your same age group or in your same, diversify who you're connecting with to really understand the issue. You know, really start to get yourself steeped in whatever it is you really care about. Becoming a student, I think. And then I think, you know, one of the things, and I, I try to do some fundamental things. You know, make sure by the time you put your head on the pillow that you feel like you made a difference. Mm-hmm. Like, this work is not something you just saw today. But if you know that when you put your head on the pillow that you've done something good today, you've made one step Sometimes we think we gotta just, we gotta save the world again. that. But if we can just do something to move the agenda a little bit, along the way, you're gonna learn some really important lessons uh, uh, around this. And then the final thing I said earlier is that, understand you're doing the work for the future. And if you can't get your head around that, then you're not gonna to get to the kind of solutions that can actually move away. There is a process to raise awareness, and then there's a process to move the work forward. And in doing this work, there I always say, I always ask the fundamental question, what is this all for? What's this all for? We'll get really complicated with a lot of stuff around how you describe stuff. And we'll, we'll come up with all kinds of terms, all this different stuff. But at the end of the day, what does this work for? You hear my colleague LeVar Charleston talk about a sense of belonging. And really what he's saying is, How are we creating a space where you can come here and you feel like you can fully be yourself? And if we find folks who don't feel like they can fully be themselves here, are we really providing this thing that we talk about? And so, you know, you know, be clear about what this is all for. And uh, sometimes we miss the mark on that. Sometimes we miss the mark on who can hit you up on Twitter, who can hit you up on social media, who can hit you up on all these things that are temporary. But at the end of the day, it's like, what is this all for? Because if you've been articulating what this is all for, you can actually really move work. You can get much more strategic about what you're doing. And and when you know that, there there are smaller ways to move the work that can be much more effective than even some of the other ways that we normally do to move the stuff. You know? A lot of times I talk to students and I say, you know, I, I remember talking to um, uh, you know, a while ago, some of my BSU students. I said, well, how many people are on the finance committee? Will have anybody on the finance committee. <laughs> right? So, so, when we're talking about doing the work, we can be much more strategic. Right? And so, you know, but when you understand what this work is all about, and then I'll just, again, uh, you know, a couple of things I always tell students understand the power of the peer. Understand that coaching is good. We don't, we get to where we are with good coaching. Not just mentoring, it's really good. Understand that living in the gray is a, is, is a, a place where you can grow. That if you're a little comfortable, that's a growth opportunity. And always, always zero in on what you're passionate about. Like, don't really find that passion, that thing that gets you up at three o'clock in the morning 'Cause you gotta write that idea down. Right? <laughs> you know because if you do that, you can do this work well. Like you can work from that position, right? You can you can really advance a, a lot of this work. And then just you know, as, as Hazel would always say, speaking to people's listening. It
2: feels like it's gonna be another buckle up and hang tight kind of semester. Mm. So as we draw to a close here, mm. we'd love to end with maybe some fun questions. Yes, yes. If I can ask, what's your, I know this is a political question, oh. but what's your favorite place to grab food on State Street?
0: So, I, you know, I, I saw that question and I'm not, so this You're is not what, a State Street guy? I, I like to be off the, off the, off path <laughs> a little bit, you know? Uh, you know it's what? Like, it's, okay. like, it's, it's like, it, it, it's so, uh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's, I'm always off the beaten
3: path. Mysterious man.
0: Yeah, I am. I like food a lot. So I'm trying to think about where, where, that was a great question. I'm thinking, where do I I go to one place all the time? The one thing I will say, and this student's taught me this one. the place that I love, and this is, it may be good. Ian's with their macaroni and cheese pizza is like my my thing. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember I was about to go, on, so we were doing a, we were doing a, uh, an event and I was about to have a surgery the next day, so I couldn't eat. And I had never seen Ian's and I saw this, this macaroni and cheese pizza. I was like, what is that? she was like, you haven't had that? After my first bite, I'm sold. If you've you never had that kind of, that is, is it good? It's that pizza, the Ian's <laughs> macaroni and cheese kind of pizza. I, I didn't think that could be a pizza. But I was all good. So I don't have a favorite place, but if it's like if there's a go-to move, that is it.
3: I think that's the right answer. <laughs> I
2: think I do think I need to mention some things. Uh-oh,
0: uh-oh, they uh-oh. have
2: two slices that I always see that I don't know if I want to try: an elote slice mm-hmm. and a crab rangoon slice. Ooh. It's one of those seasonal slices you'll see it every once in a while,
0: and really? I'm just I'm just not
3: sure. A corn pizza? I saw that the other day. I, I'm tempted. I love some elote. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh. All right, f- final question. If we have one more second, oh. we're pretty sure that you're a sports fan. We've oh. heard some things. Uh-oh. Which badger team, if you had to make a projection, do you think is most likely to make a serious national championship run this year?
0: So you're gonna get me in trouble because I, I I work with all the coaches and I it's oh. just a hard thing. For me, so. <laughs> so you might you might get me in trouble. So as my niece said on our interview. They asked a question, y'all. It's not this. I feel obligated to do it. Um, the team is th- that probably it has a, i – I'm going to get in trouble because I'm supposed to be – actually, I'm supposed to be heading over here for, uh, to watch that presentation. So I'm going to get in trouble after this. But to be realistic, what Kelly is doing with the uh, women's volleyball team is where it's gonna be. <laughs> Like, if y'all had a chance – if y'all have not been to a volleyball game, my partner is a volleyball coach, and so she helped to just curate me. And I've always been a fan of volleyball. But the women's hockey team is great as well. They're going to make a run. But, but, but that volleyball team is, is, is something you got to watch. Coach Chris, I know I'm going to see you. Uh, you know, I'm rooting for y'all too. Uh, but we have a lot of great teams. The thing about our, our, our Badger athletics this is it's a very balanced portfolio in terms of teams. And so fans got a lot to be able to, uh, to, uh, to watch. Uh, but I, I think that volleyball team has been knocking on the door a lot and they, i think they are poised to try to knock it through
3: well we want to say thank you for joining us today this has been absolutely amazing we've gotten so many good chunks of wisdom out of this as well that i think could be used in so many different contexts besides just this podcast so we really appreciate having truly, you truly thank you well, so
0: much I, I appreciate you for all the work you're doing here and you know what you will do you know um this is what, this is what when I want to talk about the Wisconsin experience of this work here. It's applying everything you're learning in the classroom and coming in this context, having these kinds of conversations experiencing this. This is what it's all about.
1: For more information, visit poli and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Addison Lathers
3: and Claire Salmi
1: and produced by Amy Gangle. Thanks for listening.